Howdy, y'all. Did you know that you can ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis with topical CBD? Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream provides immediate relief by combining the powerful regenerative properties of CBD with other active botanical ingredients. Each bottle of Cosmetic Hemp Pain Cream is packed with 400 milligrams of their patented water-soluble CBD, ensuring maximum absorption. Be kind to your skin and head over to Cosmedicated.com, C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com. Use the South Scruffy promo code SOS20 and get 20% off of your entire order. All right, let's do the show. We're doing the podcast. Welcome in, guys. South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm glad you're here joining me, man. Thanks for being here. Uh, on the show today, we have me. What? So, uh, Zach Roskop. Uh, you remember him from an earlier episode, perhaps? Uh, Zach is a wonderful uh, personality, uh, both radio and otherwise. Uh, but Zach hit me with a proposition a couple weeks ago and said, I've got an idea since, you know, we're, we're quarantined right now and social distancing and doing our best. Uh, but you and I are around each other a little bit filming stuff and working together. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of already doing it. So why don't we just get together and do a special episode of your podcast? I'll bring a six pack of beer over to your shop and we'll call it Six Pack with Zach, and I'll ask you all the questions, and uh, your listeners can get to know you a little better, because apparently that's a thing that needs to happen. So, we did it. So, Zach came over, and he uh, was true to his word. He brought over a, a six-pack of uh, Black Horse Lager uh, in a bucket <laughs> with ice, and uh, we sat here and drank it, and he asked me questions, and it was really exciting, and I don't know. It's man, the hot seat. I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. It's a lot easier to host than it is to have to think about yourself and talk about yourself and ask questions, but it was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm very glad that uh, Zach came up with the idea to do it because it was a whole lot of fun and I would do it again. Anytime we might do it again. Uh, when, uh, you know, maybe, maybe once a year or something like that. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I don't have any plans. Just, we're just doing it. We did it. And it was awesome. Uh, so remember a couple weeks ago, I threatened to have my daughter, uh, come in my four-year-old daughter, come in and, and be on the podcast. Well, we recorded something she and I did. She gave me 10 solid minutes. Uh, I think it was 10 minutes. If you include the bathroom break that she took and man, I learned a lot of stuff that, uh, that I didn't know about her, uh, on the podcast. I thought I knew everything about her, but but apparently, uh, either she's fabricating some of it or, uh, there's, or I need to, I need to get with it and, and start paying more attention to my daughter's life. Uh, so I don't know, maybe I'll tack that on the end of a podcast or the beginning of a podcast coming up. Uh, and we can, we can talk to Eloise because she's hilarious and I think you guys might get a kick out of it. I hope you guys enjoy the six pack with Zach episode. Be sure to support Zach at Knox Brew Tours and go support Black Horse. They have a really great lager. So, guys, without further ado, uh, uh, Ben Fields, Zach Ross, six pack with Zach. Come on now. Suicides every time you couldn't take it. Drove me nuts. Dude, okay, you, you brought a big bucket of beer. Yeah. So let's let's break this down for a second. Okay. Um, 
So the <laughs> so I wanted to sit down and pick your brain a little bit, okay, and ask you some questions, okay. And this way, you know, I can get to know a little bit more about you, sure. And your listeners can get to know a little bit more about you, cool. But who I am is a person. Pretty much, like, beer is part of my, like, identity. It's part of sort of who I am. And so I was like, let's spice this up a little bit, and and I'll bring some beer with me. Traditionally, most people would bring beer in a package. Yeah, like a six-pack or, like, maybe some some kind of, yeah, a paper package, cardboard, something like that. Um, But that's just, that's not how I roll, you know? So Uh, instead, I brought 12 beers. Okay. And I thought this was six pack with Zach. It is. It's uh, a six pack for each of us. I was thinking the six. <laughs> oh gosh. I was thinking, you know, six pack for you, six pack for me. We'll see what happens. Uh, so this is a five gallon plastic bucket <laughs> with 12 beers in it full of ice. And uh, I love the sound here of just, of ice. Just, yeah, just. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then my second favorite sound in the whole world. Oh, I think I know it. Is is this sound right here. <sighs> yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what are we drinking? Yeah. So this beer was is actually from Black Horse Brewery. Yeah. Which is a great local brewery. They uh, are one of our older breweries. They originally were in Knoxville in 1997. It was their second location as they started in Clarksville in 1995. And the name Black Horse actually comes from the fact that the owner was part of, I always mess this number up, I think it was the 11th Calvary, but uh, he says that during, it was the second uh, Gulf War conflict, he would not be alive today if it wasn't for the 11th Calvary. And the nickname for that group is the Black Horse. So he named the brewery in honor of them. So he was a military guy? He was. He was actually, uh, yes, in Fort Dickerson, I think, outside of Clarksville. Okay. Um, Sorry, it's been a minute since I've given a tour of Black Horse because they've they've moved locations. Yeah, they're in in downtown Knoxville on Gay Street, right? Yeah, and so we had to take a little break from from the brew tours. Yeah. But great brewery. They do a lot of great packaged beer right now because of the COVID-19 outbreak. They are selling their six-packs and their 12-packs for a dollar a beer. That's unheard of. Yeah. So you can get a six-pack for six bucks, craft beer, locally brewed, delicious, awesome product. Oh, that's cool. And this is their Black Horse Lager. Oh, you know me. Yeah, you brought man. a lager. <laughs> yeah. It does have a little bit more body, a little bit more maltiness than a traditional American light lager. So it's a little bit more of a Vienna or a Dortmunder style, but it's still light in body, chuggable, chuggable, easy drinking. Uh, and I thought this was a good one. So cheers. Well, cheers, man. Yeah. Clink. Clink. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, Black Horse, um, they do good stuff. Yeah, and I was a little. Uh, the first Knox Brew tour I went on, we went to we went to Black Horse. This was when it was in Western Plaza. Yeah, when it was in Western Plaza, and we went there, and I wasn't really familiar with their beer, and I had a banana flavored beer there. Uh, Those are their Hefeweizen, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it was good, uh, but a couple of other beers uh, really st- stood out to me of. Of theirs, been I've been drinking it ever since. So this is yeah. this is good. I've never had this one before. This is fantastic. They uh, this is a newer a newer offering of theirs, and it's actually it says really... Black Horse uh, Tennessee Ales on it, but it says Lager. But, yeah, <laughs> I, 
Um, I'm, I'm confused. So I don't know much about beer, but that, <laughs> that, that, they, the two sound mutually exclusive to me. Yeah. So that's a that's a really good point, actually. Um, <laughs> so most people, so a lot of people who aren't in the industry will associate the word ale as just to mean beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you get into the nitty gritty, there is a difference between ales and lagers. Uh, but that's funny. Everything is one of those, right? Yeah. Everything every, is either. Every beer is either a lager or an ale. Gotcha. Yeah. And this is both <laughs> well, <laughs> according to the can. Te- te- <laughs> <laughs> Technically just the lager, but, uh, you know, give me a pint of your finest ale. Right? I'll, t- I'll tell you what, man. I've had a lot of people come over to my house before and to my shop, but nobody's ever brought a five-gallon bucket full of beer and ice. Yeah. This is great. I, and <laughs> I, this is the uh, expectation that you should have from now on every time I come over. I'm yeah, I'm or going anybody to, really. I'm the- <laughs> And it's not like one of those cheap buckets that you get at like a Buffalo Wild Wings. Like this is like a five gallon legit brewer's bucket okay. kind of thing. So. Okay. Where'd it come from? Do you know? Uh, a bridge beer company. Oh, those guys. Yeah. I, I like uh, those guys. We did a delivery service for them tonight and I was like, hey, do you guys have a bucket? <laughs> <laughs> no styrofoam cooler for you. <laughs> no, this is more environmentally friendly. Yeah, it is. Uh, and... At one point, probably had beer in it. So. Yeah, and or, does again. And does again. <laughs> and does again. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, cheers to, to Black Horse, and uh, cheers to you, man. Thanks for yeah. hanging out and, have, and having me back on. I really appreciate it. Of course. You're having me, man. What are you talking about? This was your idea. I know, you, I know. You hit me up with this idea last <laughs> week, and I was like, okay, it's brilliant. Okay, so so here's, here's the idea. Okay. The idea is um, that... I listen to your show and it's a great Thank show. You. And thanks for having me as a guest. Of course, man. It you're was, one, you were one of the favorites. It was so much fun. And, and I remember I was here for like about three and a half hours. Yeah. We recorded for an hour <laughs> and then we hung out for a couple more afterwards. And when I left, I was really thankful that you asked a lot about me and who I was, but really I was so curious to know more about you and who you were and I feel like I'm not alone in that. And there might be other people that would love to know more about you. So I thought I would coerce you with a bucket of beer. You know the way to my heart. <laughs> That's and been a, a feedback that I've gotten from from folks, actually, is that uh, – is that they don't, you know, they, they think they know me, but they, but they don't know, you know, we get yeah. to know a lot about guests on the show, but they don't yeah. really know a lot about the host. It's not like I'm some dude that they can just go look up on Wikipedia and right. learn everything about my entire life. Right. So, and, and I also, you know, it's awkward to just talk about yourself, right? Is it? I mean, I could, but. I don't really do it. I try not to <laughs> on the show. I try to make it about the person across the right. table. But I thought instead of you just turning on the mic and being like, Here's who I am. I thought it'd be more comfortable for me to crack open a few beers and ask you a few questions. So this so. is what the hot seat feels like. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is what it, it's even. It feels only a slightly weirder for me because I'm in like your space with your equipment, and I feel oh, like yeah. I just walked in like I own the place, and now I'm, I'm you know. But that's that's what we're doing here. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah. Well, so my first is it cool if we dive in? Are you ready? Totally. Okay. Let's do it. So my first question is, by the way, I do have questions submitted from some of your listeners. Oh, really? I did get a few emails. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. They did all ask to remain anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) So we will get to those questions. Okay. Uh, But the first question I have is, I think, a really, really, really important question. So 
the what is the podcast, right? Your your what is scruff, you know, south of scruffy. It's it's a podcast featuring artists, right? But what is what is the why? What at, yeah. so, at some point in time you had to say to yourself, "I'm going to get some recording equipment. I'm going to buy some mics. I'm going to reach out to some people, and I'm going to explore this avenue of the world of artists." Tell yeah. me. What motivated you to make that choice and, yeah. and, and what led to, to this podcast? What's uh, your why? Yeah. So uh, a lot of it came from inspiration. I, I listened, you know, I listened to a lot of Mark Marin, and I started listening to Joe Rogan about a year or two ago and probably Marin more. So I, I, I started to realize that he was uncovering these stories that are seemingly rooted in mundanity that, 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 you know, aren't that, that people never tell because they think they're not interesting. And it doesn't have to be a famous person that has those interesting stories. And we have so many personalities, so many people around town that I've been curious about that I wanted to know more about. And I figured that if I wanted to know more about them and I could somehow coax that out of them, that it would be interesting for people to listen to. And so that's kind of, I mean, it took, this was, my podcast was a year in the, in the making in the, in, in my brain and, <laughs> yeah. and, and coming up with lists of guests and, and ideas of how to, of, of how to approach it. And, and it, you know, it fortunately came to fruition at the end of 2019 and was able to really let the rubber meet the road and get some of these interesting people in front of the mic. And I've learned so much about people. And so it's, it's really, it's worked for me. It's it's done exactly what I wanted it to, which was to uncover these stories that seem so mundane to the people who are telling them, but are actually interesting to people who listen. And another reason it is because I think those I think those stories need to be documented. Yeah. I think they need to be out there. Uh and and hopefully you know, some maybe one day a guest on this show, you know, lets their kid listen to one of them and they learn something about their dad or their mom that they never oh, knew before. That's you know, such a special angle, yeah, that I never thought about. I mean, it's like it, I, it, 10 years from now, just like my dad could pull out an old, you know, book of photographs, I could pull up Spotify, yeah, and say, Hey, 10 years ago, I was a guest on this podcast where I told a little bit of my story and, and, you know, that could be a gateway for, for that person to get to know me many years later. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about for me. That's special. Yeah. So it's sort of an exploration of humanity kind of. It is. And, and in the cultural fabric of our town too, because I want to have people on the show who, uh, who are, they're part of the cultural, the makeup. They're, they are. They're part of the, exactly. And, and I, I think that that's another, an ancillary tie in is the geography and, and where we live. And that's just another, another part of it that makes it interesting is because these people, you know, not only are their stories interesting, but they mean something to a community. Right. There, uh, there's a, yeah, it has an impact not only on you as the person interviewing them, but, but the people who have interacted with the person you're interviewing. You're right. Man, okay. I, yeah. I got a little meta there. No, it's all good. Podcast in a podcast yeah. in a podcast. <laughs> it's like looking into the mirror at the barbershop <laughs> and seeing the one behind you, yeah. and it just goes into infinity. You just yeah. mirror, 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 mirror. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I wrote down when you were saying that, it's sort of like finding depth in something that seems uh, maybe 
to most people from the surface a little shallow. Exactly. And and that's why well, that's why I mentioned the inspiration part of it, especially with Mark Marin. Um that to me he's able to draw that that special piece out of out of a somewhat, you know, seemingly mundane story and that to me really made me realize that that's not just that's not proprietary to famous people. Right. It's proprietary to everybody. <laughs> now that famous person might have a larger platform or a large group of people yeah, interested in it. They might be able it, to drop but, bigger names, you know. <laughs> right, but but every single person has a story or something that matters that makes a difference that relates to other people and you and you're sort of trying to hunt that and find that. Exactly, because I honestly 100% believe that Zach Roscop's story is just as interesting as Brad Pitt's story. Oh shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I really I really believe that. Just because he's famous doesn't make his story any more interesting than you. you That's know? true. And so I think that drawing that out and being able to record that and give it to people is, um, I don't know. I, I, I saw that there was a gap in, or a hole in, I thought there was a hole in the marketplace where that could f- fulfill people's listening needs. Absolutely. And so that is the first and most likely last time I'll ever be compared or in the same sentence as Brad Pitt. Are you pretty but, handsome? But <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. And now I'm blushing. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's kind of your why. Yeah. Your why is to sort of uncover uh, a, a part of the fabric that makes Knoxville who it is, that makes yeah. the culture what it is. And- yeah, and people who they are too. You know, in, in my, you know, just, I don't want to get ahead of you, but just like aspirationally, I would, I want this to be universal too. I don't want it to just be something that people in, you know, the eight, six, five can listen to, you know, I want, I want, I want people everywhere to be able to, to uptake it and, and, and think that it's interesting and it to provide some kind of value proposition. Yeah. Cause there's that common, there's the common value of, of just humanity of people of, of interest. And yes. And if you're not universal. Yeah. And also the internet has made that, a lot more possible too, because any artist that you're talking about, even if they're specific to Knoxville, someone from Alaska could check out their YouTube, their Facebook, their and be connected to that artist from a distance. Certainly, as well as the story that you're telling. On yeah, the I podcast. mean, globalization can can make this bigger, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, make it make make it really make the value even even bigger, and and um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so all right. If, if what is what is the dream for this podcast? What is, you know, the hope, the goal? And, and maybe a, a different question might be, what is your measure of success for you personally yeah. when it comes to South of Scruffy? Well, there's a couple different parts of it. So for me, it is, it's already fulfilling. What I'm doing, you know, one, two nights a week. You've already hit that baseline. Yes. It's, it's fulfilling for me personally. Um, I, I don't know why, but metrics would, would, would mean a lot to me. I mean, if 50, a hundred thousand people downloaded this show every week, that would, that would do something for my ego or do something <laughs> for me, make me feel. Well, it would just make you feel like the effort and the love and the passion that you have is shared with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a good feeling. That damn fridge turns on when it gets <laughs> when it gets warm in here. So, I mean, metrics aren't everything, and metrics aren't the end all be all, but they do validate the effort, the cons- the the love, the passion, the desire to do it, and they I'm sure they 
metrics would help with feeling like people are 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 into what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's the part that is that is validating. And, you, and I really don't want I don't consume myself with that. I don't really care how many people listen to each episode. And on, I think in my intro for the first or second podcast, I said, you know, when my parents are the only two people listening to this podcast, that's when I'll stop doing it. But I don't even know if I would stop doing it then because I really enjoyed, I really enjoy it. it it's a lot for me. I'm a, I'm a person who likes to sit across the table from somebody and drink a beer and have Absolutely. a conversation with them. Well, and, and, and I mean, for no other reason other than just like, if these microphones weren't here and these headphones weren't here, this is still what I want to be doing right now in exactly. this moment in that's, time. That's it. And, and so, and that to me, that to me means that you're doing the right thing. You know, if, if all other things, um, if, if you're not getting rich off something, if, um, it, you know, it, as long as you enjoy doing it, which I, which I do, then I yeah. think it is success. I agree. It, that, that the definition of success is, is, uh, different per person. And that's yeah. a great definition. Well, and, and I probably spend, I don't know, probably because I do a lot of the legwork on the podcast too. I, I, I edit it, which is, they're not, they're not really edited, but I have to record the intro. I record the outro, I put the music in. So, yeah. you know, that, that part of it is somewhat technical. And then I send it off to Mike Deering or Sam Thomas who mixed the show and then send it back. And then I write up the descriptions for him. And so I really do pretty much all of it other than, other than mixing it. And it probably takes me five, six, seven hours a week, something like that. And you're doing one or two a week. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing one or two a week. I, I'm trying to get the, I'm, I, I try to keep a couple in the bank just in case a global crisis hits and I can't get <laughs> yeah. somebody to come sit down in the, yeah. uh, it, six feet away from me. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder, you know, I, I really do enjoy it a lot. Uh, and it, it, get, it gets me high, man. Just being able to, to do it. It, it, excites me. I wonder if it was a 40, 58, 60 hour a week thing, you know, would I still enjoy it as much? I don't know. Yeah. I hope to find I out. Hope, so you hope to find out that yeah. actually is a perfect segue into my next question. You've already sort of laid the the foundation that this is already a success. This I, is already, it is for me. It's already fulfilling a, a desire and a dream and a passion that you have. Yeah. What would be something absolutely crazy that you could see this, this podcast becoming one day. I mean, what's yeah. sort of the, 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 the dream. Yeah. A household name. Really? I mean, whether, you know, start locally, I, I would love for everybody in town to know about it. I yeah. would love for them to, you know, I, I would love for it to be a, a Halloran Hilton Hill. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Just to, to use that name as yeah. an example. Like I would love for it to be something that, that people understand and go to and everybody knows about and everybody looks to it for entertainment. Who, uh, who would be, you know, in your top five list of holy shit, I can't believe this person agreed to be on my podcast. Yeah, there's <clears throat> a couple different tiers from that me. was one question that I got from our emails mm. was who would be your dream cast or not cast g dream guest guest. Okay, so there's a couple different tiers, and I've I've set some goals Ooh, for the podcast of, of people that I want to get on the show. Uh, I want to I want to get India Kincannon on. I want to get uh, Glenn Jacobs on. Okay. Um, so for those listening who aren't from Knoxville, that's yep. the city mayor of Knoxville and the and Knox Kane. County mayor. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. The the county mayor. So two two seconds. 
Knoxville's a little bit weird in that we have a city government and a county government, and the city government operates inside that county government. The city mayor is India Kincannon, yes. and the county mayor is Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane. Joke slam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Undertaker's brother. Yeah. <laughs> as we all know. Yeah, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, so – like in in on the on the local tier, those would be uh, those would be people I'd love to have on. Have, what about Madeline Rojero, the previous man? I would love to have her too. She's on my list. Um, I would definitely love to have her. Uh, those those three would would really mean success for me. Another one is Scott West. Ooh, um, and and he was kind of a, a he was my big he was my like my big crown jewel that I, that I wanted to go to and get and get to for the first year. And I've kind of got an in on that. I think that might be able to happen. I was about to say, I, I might be able to help with that one a little so bit. So my idea for that, and uh, I've floated it out there to a couple people who talk to him regularly. And uh, my idea for that is to uh, do a uh, studio audience podcast. Oh, live with him. Live at one of maybe not live, but oh, record it at one, but of record the, it with a studio yeah. or with an audience, mm-hmm. uh, at Scruffy city hall, uh, on a first Friday. Anyone listening who doesn't know who Scott West is, he is a, a bar music venue owner of several locations downtown and made a big impact and investment in downtown Knoxville way before it was cool. Yeah. And is a big part of the culture in downtown Knoxville, for sure, and has a really interesting story. Yes, I mean, he it's does. no secret that he spent some time in prison for. He some wrote stuff. a book about it. He did, and yeah, how, and why he was there, and, and yeah, and uh, and so yeah. there's a lot of speculation that you know, or, or a lot of opinion out there that Market Square in downtown Knoxville would not be what it is without Scott West, which you know turned out to be you know what ended, what landed him in prison yeah. ultimately. Yeah, and so. You know, I think that would be that would be interesting, and that's another that's back to the curiosity thing too. Like, I'm very curious about that story, oh, yeah. and like, and yeah. and you know, a couple things being different. Yeah, would our town look a little bit different if it weren't for him? So he's he's also one uh, locally that is that is that is big time for me that I would love to have on. And, and as I, some laws change, there's also a layer of whether his time, yeah, in prison uh, was should was. Should have been or not? Yeah, I, 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 and I, of course, no expert on that situation, but you know, I, I think yes, yeah, I'm with you. As as cannabis laws change, maybe, maybe that becomes a little bit of a different story, or at least, you know, I think the behavior was still illegal, fair, whether the plant was or not. You know, true, true. But so there's a lot to look at there. But uh, I'd love to dig into that. You know, yeah. I'd love to talk to him. So, about so, that. so, so Scott West, uh, current mayors, uh, previous, yeah, previous mayor. mayors. Um, <laughs> I would love, I would love to talk to Randy Boyd. Ooh, I would love to talk to. So uh, Randy Boyd is the the interim president of the United of the University of Tennessee. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if they stripped that interim tag off of him yet or not. He might be the outright. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, he is a local. Uh, Multi-millionaire who was involved in the invention of the invisible fence and uh, pet he, safe. Well, he he bought the patent for oh, the invisible fence. Gotcha. Uh, the day it came up, and and then started pet safe. And then started pet is safe. my understanding and, of and, that. And ran for governor. He did run for governor against uh, Diane Black and um, and and governor Governor, governor Bill, Bill Lee, Lee right, yeah. all on the Republican ticket. And um, the way it turned out was. Uh, you know, Randy Boyd and uh, and uh, Diane Black both spent uh, in the teens of millions of dollars on their own campaign. 
And Governor Billy, who's a business owner, was like, it sounds like a construction company or an HVAC mm -hmm. company or something like that. A businessman mm -hmm. uh, in Middle Tennessee ended up winning that nomination for the Republican Party, which me which means you're going to be the governor in Tennessee because yep. we don't have Democratic, you know, governors here. But uh you know, what happened with him and Diane Black is they, you know, they tried to out Trump each other. They tried to get on that side of, of Donald Trump and and uh, and Bill Lee just kind of hung back and said, I'm not going to be too radical about all this kind of stuff. And it and I guess it out. resonated for yeah. the people. Yeah, it did. And and so but that that doesn't mean that Randy Boyd is is, uh, you know, is, is not, you know, not. Uh, politically important because he worked for another another person who I would love to have on the show uh, is our former governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam. Yeah, absolutely. Bill would be yes. huge. Yeah, and uh, I don't think downtown Knoxville would exist like it does today if it wasn't for some I of the, the 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 foundation that he laid when he was the the mayor of Knoxville. Absolutely. Before he became the yeah. governor of Tennessee, so he term limited out as the mayor of Knoxville and. Uh, he was the he was the last Republican mayor that that the city of Knoxville had, and when he ran for governor, he f first 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 try at it, he was elected governor of Tennessee, and he brought Randy Boyd on for uh, to be his czar of uh, economic and community development, which yeah. is bringing businesses to Tennessee and uh, really strengthening the communities economically, yeah. uh, especially distressed yeah. counties, distressed cities, places that didn't have, you know, pl places well below the poverty line. Uh, he brought Randy Boyd in to help engineer a way to make those communities a little more viable. And Randy Boyd did an amazingly successful job yeah. working in Nashville to governor's office. And that's what, that's what laid the the groundwork for him to then run for governor after Bill Haslam, once again, term limited yeah. out as the, yeah. as the governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam is, um, is a, um, you know, he's, he was my wife's basketball coach when they were, when they were little kids. And so he's, he's certainly an, you know, a person that I could get in touch with and, and, and could speak with. So I, I, he's on my list too. Yeah. So that's kind of the local, uh, just East Tennessee yeah, state of Tennessee, some... like gr group of people. And I know that that's heavy into politics, but I think that can really, that can really help, uh, dig into, uh, dig into why we are, who we are well, around here. You can talk to politicians without getting political. By yeah. talking about the community, most of and what like, they talk about it is not political. It's you know I ideals. And like <laughs> right now, we've talked about politics without actually talking about politics. Sure. Yeah. And and you know, Bill Haslam is interesting. I I think just random personal opinion. I think if Hillary Clinton had won the last presidential election, I think we would see Bill Haslam running for president. Probably in this coming so. Election. Yeah, I still think he should. Run for president and, and, at yeah, some point. At some point, yeah. He's a very decent man. Yeah. He's a very good human being. I, uh, I've i got that same impression from him yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the, the local tier of people. I want to have Quentin Tarantino on the show. Okay. Okay. Before we get into, <laughs> before we get into the next tier, I think we need another beer. Oh, of course. Okay. So yeah. let's get, is it back. the same one? Yeah. We've oh, yeah. just got a whole bucket of black horse lagers. Uh, as we dip back into this bucket here. Okay, here's your second favorite sound. <laughs> the only way that could be better is if somebody was 
stabbing it with a key or a knife to, to like shotgun, a shotgun it? it. Yeah. Maybe we should do that before the night. Should we set a couple out, let them warm up? Yeah. It's easier to, to drink if they're warmer, for sure. Okay. So your local tier, uh, were, were those individuals that you just mentioned, what, what's like, what would be just like, a, you're sitting here and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe this is real life. Yeah. Kind of guess. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino would be, and I know that sounds so stupid for me to even say it. <laughs> no, but that's not like at all. When I'm standing here in the shop, pacing back and forth at two o'clock in the morning, thinking about the podcast, like that's ultimately he has Knoxville ties. Yeah, um, he's of course very important to me because of my because of my craft and the business I'm in, which we're gonna we're gonna dive into yeah. just a little bit. Yeah, but uh, but that would be that would be somebody. To, to me, that would be the big, I would, I would just go ahead and hang him up after that. To quote Jeffrey Dale Alejandro, I'd hit the showers after that. You'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last episode of South yeah. Scruffy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the last thing we would hear would be you dropping a microphone. Just yep. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. But that's kind of my, that's my, that would be an amazing goal. I don't ever in a million years expect that to happen. That's the lottery for mm-hmm. me. That's winning the lottery. It's like, you know, crazy. This thing would have to be super huge or, you know, some or you know, super connected. Somebody somewhere got, you know, somebody got him to do it out of the kindness of his heart. And I know that sounds silly, but he's one of my favorite directors. I love all of his films. He's, um, you know, he's he he hasn't influenced me, really. It, it's not somebody that I look to for uh, for for inspiration when I go to direct something or, or make something. But uh, he's he's someone whose films uh, I've always held in the highest regard. A and favorite 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 Tarantino film? Uh, probably, it's hard to say. Probably, uh, well, definitely Django. Um, Django. Yeah, definitely Django. And then the Kill Bills are are right behind that for me. Uh, and Glorious Bastards is up there. Yeah, for me. it's a great one, man. It's a great Maybe. one. I, I can't. Man, I, I struggle with the with this Brad Pitt Southern accent with that one. The the whole suspension of disbelief, which is key in uh, filmmaking, uh, to me watching watching Brad Pitt throw on that South Carolina accent for a Tennessee guy, it just it doesn't you know. Doesn't, I got you. I got yeah, you. It, it, I it love, pulled me out of it. I love how how into it though you are, and and you've actually made this really easy for me because you've set me up for these perfect segues. <laughs> Into every question. And I know it's not on purpose, which is just kind of crazy. But uh, some people wanted to know that who is uh, Ben outside of this podcast? And what do you what is it that you do here locally in Knoxville? I mean, everyone has to to -hmm. earn a paycheck to provide for their family. Yeah. And so uh, what what is it that you do outside of out of this? Well, for me, the most important thing in my life is my family. Uh, I've got a wife and two little girls in there. The if that's not going right, then then I don't want to do anything else. So that's the most important thing to me. And my that. marriage to my wife, on top of that, even above being a father, my marriage to my wife is the most important thing in the world to me. I love okay? that, man. Cheers. Uh, that. B- beyond that, uh, I'm a director and cinematographer, and uh, I work for a company called Pop Fizz, and uh, we. We make all kinds of stuff, man. We make uh, commercials. We make TV shows. Uh, and uh, I, I shoot and, and direct those. And that's been, uh, that's been my, my career for, you know, 15 years. I've only worked for Pop Fizz for about four years. Um, Brian Allen, who's a former guest on the show, was kind enough to, uh, 
to take on. I, I, I had a production company before I came on to Pop Fizz. Okay. Brian acquired the product, my production company. Um, so that's pretty much my book of work, my equipment and me. And I came over and, uh, was really able to grow what I was already doing because I had a bench of people. Yeah. More resources, me, had more, more resources yeah. to be able to achieve bigger things and to be able, uh, to work on bigger projects. And those people were all readily available right there. They weren't freelancers. They were people that I knew that I worked with every day. So then my, uh, capabilities really. Uh, expanded when I teamed up with Pop Fizz, which was probably uh, the single greatest career move I've ever made. I love to hear that. Yeah. And I'm so happy uh, to continue to work, to work with those guys because it's, um, it's a family, man. And we're doing, we're doing really, that's my second family. That's the thing that I care the second most about. (laughs) Um, So it's all about family. Yeah, for me it is. Um, but that all in, in, you know, not, I don't want to get ahead of you again, but, uh, just, <laughs> just to like, it, man. but my career in the film and television business started when I was really young as an actor and I got an agent, um, when I was 12 years old, uh, I was doing was this in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, I was doing acting in school and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was did always, not know this about you. Yeah. So I was always the class clown, the ham, the cut up, I was the lead and all the, you know, all the school plays and all that. And so, uh, I, I wanted to start making money doing it when I was a, when I was a kid. And so, uh, I got on with, um, uh, with a, uh, talent agency called 18 carat. Um, and it was, they dealt a lot more with models than acting. So like print stuff. And I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I looked like a 12 year old, but I I was no (laughs) model, you know? Um, the the lady's name there, Cindy Swicegood, who uh, owned 18 Carat and was my agent for about five years. Uh, she since passed away, sadly, uh, but she really got me a lot of good work um, when I was a kid. So I started getting in front of the camera uh, when I was 12 years old. And I loved being on set. I loved being on camera. I loved being the kid, you know, joking around and everybody, ha, 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 you know, the center of attention type thing. And that that just kind of carried on until uh, you know did the did school play thing in high school and and all that at uh, at Bearden at Bearden yeah man uh, did the theater thing and like I wasn't a typical theater kid you know was, like to go out and drink beer and smoke pot with my buddies and hang out I wasn't a theater nerd it was just you know hanging out in the theater till every hour of the night building yeah. sets and stuff I yeah. just I really enjoyed performing and I really enjoyed getting into character I enjoyed memorizing lines I enjoyed embodying somebody else and so the performing thing always was a really a really important part for me and um even you know after I got out of high school I went to to UT for a year for a semester and uh, I was majoring in theater and I, I fucking hated it, man. You hated it. I didn't, I, I didn't, I mean, I was done with, with it academia. Sort of took that I didn't, I didn't want to be in school. And, you know, a, an acting 101 class is, 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 I, I was like, man, I'm, I'm not, I, this is, this is, I can't kinda, do four years of this you shit. You kind of answered my next question because my next yeah. question was going to be, do you still identify with that? in your life today, but it sounds like that was kind of, you kind of moved on a little bit from that. From acting and performing? Yeah, from acting. From- you know, I, by necessity, I did more than anything. Okay. I, I still love it. I don't know if I could do it anymore. I don't know if I could, because I remember staying up. I, I did, uh, I, I got cast as Hamlet 
uh, by uh, Katie Katie Norwood, uh, Katie Alley, uh, was my high school drama teacher. And she took a huge chance on me by casting me as Hamlet in our high school play because, like I said, I was the pot smoking, beer drinking <laughs> kid who wanted to go out and yeah. hang out and party yeah. with my buddies. Yeah. But my audition was was good, I guess. And and she took me aside and she said, listen, I'm going to give you this part. But don't screw it up. Don't show up drunk to my class again. <laughs> <laughs> and she took me under her wing. How did that go? And it went awesome. And and it went fantastic. It is, and I've mentioned this before, it is probably still the greatest achievement of my life. How much of that uh, of those lines do you remember today? None. No? None. No, I remember uh, I remember thinking about it a few months after the show and I was like, I still remember all these lines. Am I going to remember these forever? It's smash cut. I'm 34 years old and I'm like, I don't remember shit to be or not to be fine, you know. Um, so so that really solidified the acting thing for me because I really got huge feedback from that like no seriously, you were good. Like, no, you were, yeah. you, no, really, you were good. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pursue the acting thing in college. And so I, I did. I went to the university. Well, I tried. I went to the University of Tennessee, and it just, academia and acting for me wasn't lining up. And so I decided to move to Los Angeles when I was 19 years old by so myself. LA, but at 19. Yeah. And so uh, the summer after my freshman year at UT, I moved to Los Angeles on uh, uh, 4th of July. And I, I moved there. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any plan at all other than I'm going to move to Los Angeles and, and figure it out and Holy make it cow. work at 19. Yeah. And so I took acting classes. I did, I, I did as much as I could, but I really didn't give it an honest shot, honestly. So do you have any regrets? About that? Uh, about, about it? Um, I mean, I know it's hard to have regrets, especially when you have such a great family now and, and a great situation now. Um, but uh, not big regrets. Like, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly think that I could have given it a much harder go when when I was out there. Yeah. And um, necessity made me kind of get away from it. So... Uh, when I was, when I was in LA, I was, I mean, I was still the same thing. I was partying. I was having a good time. I was a kid in the middle of LA and the biggest playground in America, you know, and I was having a great great time. Yeah. And, and I was, I was doing my thing and I was kind of half-assing the acting thing, but man, that pond is so big, you know, that that's, that's a big C uh, to be a fish in. And so without a really solid plan or without really solid financial support to where you can really just follow that, it wasn't really something that was making sense for me. And I did it for two years. Um, now the greatest blessing that happened from being there was that, uh, a a girl that I, uh, uh, a woman, she was older than me (laughs) that I was dating, uh, a friend of hers, uh, said, yeah, I've got a production assistant gig, you know, it pays a hundred dollars a day. It's uh 12 to 14 hour flat. So come in, you work 12 to 14 hours, you get paid a hundred bucks a day. It's on a reality TV show come in. And, um, and I, I did, and I decided to, to, you know, make a step into the production world just because I, because I ultimately thought that it was going to get me discovered as an actor. And I thought it was going to give me, give me opportunities, which hold on because it did, but (laughs) I know I I was about to write that down. So I, uh, so it, uh, it went on, I worked on a show called, uh, Mr. Romance. It was on the oxygen network and it was a 
competition TV show to be the next Harlequin novel, like romance novel model for the front of the book. It's a weird thing. Okay. The first day I'm on set, I'm driving the transpo van and they say, we need you to go pick up Fabio and like legit. Like the, the long hair. the Like Fabio. Fabio. Yes. So the first day I'm on set, Fabio's riding shotgun talking to me and I'm like, I've, I fucking made it. I've, this is it. I'm done. Look, I'm going to tell him I about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm going to tell him about how I want to be an actor and uh, he'll just put me in everything. But really I just dropped him off and he got on his white horse and did the intro for the show and then went away and we never saw him again. But from working on that show and, and working in production, I found out that I liked production. And I liked being in the, I liked the chaos it's the of creation. It. Uh, yeah, it is. It's you, it's gratifying. You feel like you're making something. You feel like you're doing something when you go and work. And even if you just drive somebody to set, you know, when you see that air, you know, a couple months later, you still feel like you were a part of it and you still feel like you did something. I, ha I have a very, 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 very tiny amount of experience with production. But for me, it seems like, and I'm asking you if this is how you feel. It seems like the most, the the closest thing in reality to trying to capture lightning in a bottle, like you're really sort of is. you're using microphones and cameras and and reality and humanity and all of these things, and you're trying to contain it all into something to a moment in time that people can experience and enjoy later and, and attach to. Yeah, and so that is both the hardest part about it and the easiest part about it. Because you don't really have to explode that ship out at the sea. You just have to make the camera think that you did. Ooh, Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it's not – you can manufacture this kind of stuff. But that, but that is – you know, that means you've got to have the idea for it and you've got to – You've, you've got to, you know, you've got to make it happen. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's cheating, you know, it's, it's fabricating something, making somebody feel something that's not real or never really happened. Uh, but then you're right. There is also the, the, the reality side of it, which is you are capturing a moment in time that makes someone emote in some right. way, makes somebody feel something. Yeah. yeah. But that, that, that emotion that experience, whether it's real or not, or entertainment, is uh, I think a common chord that connects us all as people. Absolutely, it's a very important part of who we are as people. I mean, it's 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 storytelling. It's absolutely storytelling, and that's another part that drew me to the business. That the acting part, uh, I love. I loved the I loved the storytelling aspect of of acting. But then when I realized that you could. Uh, then curate a story on a bigger level, more of a 30,000 foot view of it. I yeah. really got excited about that. Yeah. And even as a, even as just a production assistant on the, on the set of a, you know, 200 person crew being the, the low, the, 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 you know, the least paid lowest guy out there that's good running to get people's laundry and, and doing whatever. <laughs> I still felt like I was doing something and I still felt like I was part of the team. And so just to kind of get back into the trip there, the, the path um, that went noticed by the production company that, that was producing the show. And then they offered me a position, a staff position after it was over to not just work on that show, but to work on all the shows that they did. 
And so they brought me on uh, to be an uh, an office PA to to do all the to do all the all the things that nobody else <laughs> wanted to do because I think they saw that I was working hard. I was out there. I was getting two hours of sleep and still showing up at four a.m. and you know driving the transpo van, which is dangerous. That's why unions exist, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but but that was another like another step in my career was working for the Grife Company, which is now Think Factory Media. Uh, and we uh, when I worked for them, we made A and E biographies. Uh, we uh, created the show Gene Simmons Family Jewels, which was a reality show. I saw show. that show. Mm-hmm. It was on VH1. Yeah, I shot part of the pilot for that. Oh gosh. Yeah, and then and then uh, right after that was over, I moved back to Knoxville. Uh, after that, just to get get some sanity back. But that was, but that job at the Greif Company, working there for about a year, year and a half, was really yeah. what like both got me excited about the production interest uh, production industry, and then also disenfranchised me to the production industry. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to see warts and all. I have I have some more user submitted questions. Okay, Hit me. I have some questions about the future. I've got some questions about the past, but I have to be really honest because I'm that's who I am. I bought I brought excuse me a bucket of beer. Uh, I don't think I can go this whole podcast without a without a pee break. <laughs> Do it. So can we take a minute? Yeah, and uh, and empty the bladder and yes. then, and bring it back. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> There's your hold music. Did you go outside and pee? I just went. <laughs> That's what the bucket's for. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm gonna grip my get my next beer. Yeah. Oh, oh, hand in. Don't don't get your hands too cold. And okay. Brought to you by Black Horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seriously though, thanks to Black Horse for yeah for providing this beer. This yeah. beer is fantastic. Yeah. I was gonna record an ad for him, but I don't think we need to. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. This is probably like the most genuine ad possible because yeah. we're drinking a bucket of their beer. Yeah. So what? Uh, one of the other podcasts that I've been listening to recently is uh, Brene Brown. Do you know who that is? Uh-uh. She is, uh, I, I don't want to get this wrong, a clinical researcher uh, in her past, but she's really made uh, a, a, a movement by being very inspirational with just the human brain and talking to uh, talking about behavior. Yeah. And one of the things that she said on her podcast recently that really resonated with me was that she's not going to advertise anything that she really doesn't believe in. She's not going to take money from people just to take money from them. Yeah. And I think that's noble. Yeah. And I'm going to do the same thing with this podcast. I love that. Yeah. I'm not going to advertise with, with any product that I would not feel good about using. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Cheers of that. Yeah. Let's do that. Cheers. Ding, ding. Yeah. What else you got? Okay. So I do have some more questions and, um, so you, you, I did not know that you spent time in LA. Yeah. Two I did, years. I did not know that you were pursuing acting, yeah, that spent, you pursued acting. Yeah. Spent 10 years, spent a decade in LA those two years. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's how you got into production. Ultimately brought you back to Knoxville. Yeah. Well, you, really what brought me back to Knoxville was the toll that LA took on me. And I moved back to Knoxville and I, uh, uh, a longtime dear friend who's also since passed named Bobby Drennan. Um, people call him a psychic. He's more of, to me, an intuitive counselor. 
And uh, we kept up the whole time I was out there. I knew him before I moved out. And he and he said, you know, if, if you feel like it's time to come home, come back here and, and, and you're welcome to get your feet back under you here at the farm. And I lived on his farm and worked on his farm, uh, tending his horses and his, his animals for, for two years. Really? After that, yeah. And that Dude, was I feel like I need to do too. a whole podcast on that. You could. You could write a book on it. Damn. Yeah. And and he, he also sadly uh, passed away from colon cancer about four years ago. Damn. He was a close friend and probably one of the best men I've ever known. And uh, I owe every single piece of my happiness to that man. Everything that I know. It's a bold statement. Everything that I think I know or – I, I owe to him. He, he taught me, he taught me how to be, you know? Uh, and he, and he was a great man. And there's, there's a lot of stuff out there on him that you can, that you can read and all that. He meant a whole lot to a whole lot of people. Um, and you know, outside of my family, I, I owe that man. Um, I owe that man everything. Man, that's yeah. a, that's a deep statement. Yeah. Maybe if we do this again, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, Sure. I've, yeah, again, two years there too, so I can yeah, I can yeah. I can I can stretch that out for an hour if I. So need we'll to. have an LA episode and yeah. then a farm episode. Yeah, <laughs> love do that. It. But that taught me a lot about hard work too, and I yeah. think I already had a bit of the work ethic thing going on, but really being out in the sun for ten hours a day was was also a, a really it taught me a lot about you know how to how to work hard and and how to how to get stuff done and how to be efficient and you know also how. Uh, you can't just coast, you know, you gotta, you gotta do something. You yeah. gotta do something. You gotta serve somebody. Yeah. Uh, Bob Dylan said, yeah. If any of y'all are listening to this and you want to dive deeper into any of these things, send me an email at Zach at com. And next time I do this, I will get the answer to those questions. We're going to do this again. Wait, I, I hope so. I'd yeah, love I, to. I think we do this every 10 or 15 episodes. Yeah. As long as down. I bring a bucket of beer. Yeah, that's a mandatory. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to open the gate if you don't have a bucket of beer. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier in this episode how important your family was to you, yeah. how important your wife was to you. Where does meeting uh, your wife fit into this story? Oh, dude. Uh, so when I was nine years old, it was 1990. Well, I was eight years old, 1993. Uh, my family moved from West Knoxville, uh, from uh, Eagle Glen neighborhood. Which Eagle is, Glen, holy yeah. shit! Do you know where that is? One of my like, I dated a girl for like five years. Her parents lived in Eagle, and she grew up in Eagle Glen. Yeah, well, I, I did too till I was eight. Did, any chance you know the Steed family? Uh huh. No, okay. Off the top of my head, Moving I might. On. I might. Let's know. not waste any time on that. <laughs> okay. Well, we moved to a neighborhood called Mariners Point, which is off of Keller Bend Road. Uh, back on the lake. Yeah. And uh, we moved there, I think when I was about eight, I was in third grade. And um, Sarah Crook lived in the neighborhood. And uh, Sarah Crook became, uh, uh, after a couple a couple years, me and, uh, me and, me and Sarah's family, uh, you know, I, I was the bad kid in the neighborhood, <laughs> so to speak. Well, yeah. And I think that was... Uh, that that was alluring to Sarah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, when when uh, when I was in fifth grade and Sarah was in third grade, 
uh, we decided it was time to become boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, we always had just like a, you know, we were friends growing up and all that. And uh, so grew up in the same neighborhood as Sarah. And then, um, you know, the high school thing, the two year gap becomes a big deal. It becomes a bigger thing. You know, I'm. I'm 15. She's 13. It's like, you're, you're a little kid. I'm, 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 I'm a grown ass man. I'm a grown ass man. And, and so I shave my face now. Exactly. So we grew apart during that time. Um, but then actually when I was living in LA, uh, Sarah was in college at Appalachian state university and, uh, in Boone and she would come home for holidays to visit her family. Right. And that's, coincidentally when I would come in town to visit my family too. And so Sarah and I were now into the same kinds of things. We love seeing live music and hanging out and having a good time. And so Sarah and I became really, really good friends, like really tight. We were, we were buddies. We talked all the time. I was living at, you know, I was living in LA and then at the farm after that. And we always kept in touch and we always just had the buddy thing going on. And then I remember it was Christmas one year and, uh, and me and me and Sarah were were getting close, you know. And I and I I had said to her on the way home from a concert one night, we were riding in the car together, and I was like, I really think we should like be romantic. And Sarah, this girl who had like thought I hung the moon yeah. since I was a little kid, looked at me right in the face and said, "I'm good." <laughs> I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" And so. That uh, that broke my heart, man. Yeah, I wanted to be with her imagine. so bad, you yeah. know. And I and this is this is at a time where I was feeling most like I had, you know, a lot of stuff figured out, and like I was really understanding my feelings and understanding who I was and what I wanted out of life. Yeah. And and Sarah said no thanks, and um, so then I you know hatched a plan. That I was going to make her fall in love with me. <laughs> yeah. And so what was step one? Uh, step one was buy a Volkswagen Jetta station wagon <laughs> and take her to Red Rocks to see the string cheese incident over a summer. So you were going to drive from Knoxville to Red Rocks? Yeah, we did. We drove from Knoxville. It was me and Sarah. We we're the only ones. We drove from from Knoxville to a place in Missouri called Camp Zoe. And we saw string cheese for three nights at a camping <laughs> oh music gosh. festival. In this, in this Volkswagen yes. station wagon. And the wagon. whole reason I bought it was because I wanted to take her on a trip and make her fall in love with me. Okay. Okay. And so what, that's step one. Yeah. How'd that go? Uh, well, so like when we were in Missouri, like things were, were, were looking up. I was thinking this might work out. Yeah, and then and she then, was like, "We should go to the next state over and meet my boyfriend." No, I'm just yeah, exactly. <laughs> she may have had a boyfriend at the time. I don't know. <laughs> but but I think by the time we got to Colorado, it was it was it was doing better. So so we got to Red Rocks. We 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 saw string cheese for four more nights at Red Rocks. We stayed with a bunch of friends, living the hippie life, like staying in hammocks and yeah. Boulder, and like yeah. just living the dream. And this whole trip took three weeks, and um. By the time we got back, uh, I I couldn't I, I I couldn't stay away from her for one more minute. I was like, "Will you come have dinner with me?" And we met up at uh, Anaba, the sushi restaurant over off North Shore. Yeah, right. And we sat at the bar, and I was like, "I I I think I fell in love on that trip." And she was like, "I think I did too." Oh, <laughs> so step one, Red Rocks. Step yeah. two. Anaba. Sushi off North Shore. Yes. 
and you know that was in 2007 and uh from from then on we took a little break in the middle but we dated the rest of the time that she was in school uh i was in boone every single weekend visiting her when she was in school i was back in knoxville working and uh and we just we we kept the thing going and we did we split up for about 10 months in 2010 or 2011, somewhere in there, which just strengthened the thing more. I mean, it was yeah, like, that, we happens, both dated, that happens a lot. Yeah. We both went and dated other people and it got like, I, it, that was hard. That was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life was being away from Sarah. And I had finally gotten to the point where I was like, okay, this life is going to go on and Sarah's not going to be a part of it. And, uh, Right about at that time, Sarah, Sarah and I both came together and decided that life without each other was much harder than life together was. Yeah, and so we got back together, and we've we've been together ever since. We we got back together in I think 2011, maybe we got married in 2013, and then we had our first kid in 2016, had our second kid in 2019. And I love her more than ever, and uh, we're it's it's good, man. It's a, it's the perfect plan. So so one downside of podcasting is that those of you who are listening right now cannot see how hard I'm smiling right now because of how <laughs> genuine everything you just said is is coming across to me, man. It seems like you really care and love a lot. Love yeah, her a I lot do, and man. your family, I'm, and, I'm mean and it. it seems it seems real. And I can't. It's I'm I'm cheesing, dude. Yeah. Well, me too. I mean, that's every day. I I, I love it. It's 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 worked out absolutely perfectly. And um, don't take a bit of it. I don't. I do not take a bit of it for granted. I'm so happy every single day to that that it worked out the way it did. And, and I, I apologize if I'm getting. Too personal. I don't. I no, don't no. mean to. But man, I'll. 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 You let me know. I'll, I'll scapegoat. I'll hear, I'll hear Houdini my way out of a <laughs> out of a hard, tough question do if you, I need to. Do you remember the moment when Sarah told you, or or you two found out together that you were expecting your first child? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. I. Uh, I was in a Home Depot parking lot with uh, Jack Parker walking in. <laughs> to uh, buy some lighting gear for a photo gig I was on. I don't remember what city I was in. And Sarah sent me a text with a photo of a pregnancy test and said, so this happened today. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? This is how you're going to tell me? <laughs> I'll never forget it. Yeah. And I told Jack right away. And he was like, you're not supposed to tell me that yet. You're supposed to wait a while. And I was like, but I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. And oh, we, were, we were, of course, ex- excited about that. And it's been a damn roller coaster ever since, of course. But, man, that's really, that's really <laughs> but awesome. But yes, I do remember it. <laughs> so uh, this is a question that I got submitted to me via my email that you, that yeah. you put it out there. Uh, I won't say who. But the question was, what is your craziest production story? Uh, I'm sure there's okay. There's a few. And crazy, you know, defining crazy is is relative. But yeah. Um, maybe so there's memorable. A, there's a couple of them. There's like one of the ones where I 
I just looked and said, oh, shit, I can't believe this just happened. This is <laughs> crazy. Can't believe this is real life. Yeah. Um, is we were, we were filming at IAMS, and it was a shoot with an out-of-town production company who had come in to film for a local bank, I believe. Okay. And we were at IAMS on the overhang right over the quarry there and had a, a, a hammock set up over, I mean, two feet from the edge of the quarry. I was a camera assistant on it. Camera assisting for a DP named JP Lipa out of, what does DP mean? Uh, director of photography, okay. um, out of, out of New York. And he's a fantastic friend. I still keep in touch with him, big fish fan. So we keep in touch on that. But, uh, he was, he was being asked to do some pretty unsafe things. And because he was such a, such a, such a pleaser and wanted to do the, whatever the director was asking for, he was doing them. And I was the camera assistant on it. And I, and I looked at the first assistant director and I said, this is unsafe. We don't need to be doing this. Someone could really get hurt. And this camera operator is operating with his heels against the back of this cliff. Uh, you know, 60, 80, 100 foot drop behind him if he were to misstep, you know, and fall back. And I said, I can't, can't do this. I can't, I can't, this is not right. And this is right after uh, a situation uh, on a, on a Greg Allman documentary that made, that made national news, uh, a kind of guerrilla production had set up on train tracks and uh, without asking, and a train had come by, and everybody was scrambling to get off the tracks, and one of the camera assistants didn't make it, and she, and she died, and and so this was kind of fresh on everybody's mind when this was happening, yeah. and so it was very easy for me to come and say, "This is unsafe. We don't need to be doing this." Yeah, and 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 your concern was probably received by several people because it was the freshness of the thing. It was a part of the industry. It was. It was. On everybody's mind, I was just the only person who said anything about it. And I went to the person who you go to in those situations, which is the first assistant director. And I have never lost so much respect for somebody in a single moment in my entire career as when he said, we're good. And (laughs) said, we're not. I'm not going to be a part of it. Right after that happened, cameraman's got his heels to the edge of the cliff, filming the talent laying in this hammock. The hammock broke. And the talent fell down and landed and uh, landed on his uh, on his backside, uh, his the, the on his spine, on the rocks. And he was visibly hurt, very badly hurt. And it's like, OK, cut. Let's take this guy to the hospital. Next setup. That's like to me, that was a moment. And I've spoken with a lot of people who are on that set that day who've been in the business for a very long time. And they agree that that's one of the, that's one of the craziest, craziest production stories, craziest production stories out there. Do you know the result of the injury? He was fine. He went, he went to the hospital and he came back that day. Uh, he got x-rayed and he had no broken bones or anything. He just had a bad limp. Uh, but it was it was a bad scene, and sorry to get dark, but like that no, to me that was the craziest real. thing. The second craziest production you, story is. Go ahead. Sorry, before you get to that, do you think that that director was just was just 
blinded by the job or the it's 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 cinematic immunity you you think that because you're filming something and making something that you're the most important thing in the world and that laws of (laughs) you know legislation exactly morality ethics uh gravity (laughs) don't (laughs) don't apply to you and that was a big wake-up call um and and you know grateful yeah i'm very grateful that nobody got hurt but that was really one of those moments when you asked me that question that was the first thing that came to mind is being the craziest production thing i've seen and i have uh even even first ading myself now as an assistant director i i brought that with me because i never want to create a situation where that becomes a thing and if somebody comes to me that's part of my safety meeting at the beginning of the day which is hey guys if you feel like someone is asking you to do something unsafe, come to me first and we will find a safe way for you to yeah. do it. Because if somebody falls off a cliff, that's my ass. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and, and theirs. <laughs> sure. So the, so the, the people that uh, were the producers and the director on the train track shoot where uh, Sarah Jones was her name uh, died. Um, so they were filming a dream sequence with a bed on train tracks the tra- they hear a train coming. Everybody scrambles. They can't get the bed off the tracks. It gets hit by the train, hits her. So, Damn. yeah, it's an awful thing. And so it's just it, – it, it's people's – you know, it's, it's people's willingness to want to get the job done. But the people who were producing and directing that are in jail right yeah. now for creating that situation and endangering someone's life and ultimately paid the ultimate prize. Yeah, Damn. it's awful. Can I tell you about the second? Yeah, please yeah. do. So that my second craziest production story was what I mentioned earlier about the the acting thing actually coming to fruition when I was in LA. Okay. Um, so when I was working at the production company, the Greif company at the time, the uh, president CEO of that company, Leslie Greif, uh, wrote and directed a film called Funny Money, and che- okay. he cast Chevy Chase as the lead actor. Okay. And the film was shot. But there was a scene that didn't quite go right. And so they had to reshoot the scene. And so he knew that the the owner, the director of the show, Leslie Greif, the director of the movie, knew that I was into acting, knew that I wanted to do it. And he was cheap as fuck. And so he also wanted an extra that wouldn't charge him anything. He already had him on staff. And so he put me in that scene for the reshoot. So we had a reshoot at a... Um, uh, of a, it was the interior of a therapy, uh, a couples therapy office. Uh, we shot it in Santa Clarita, uh, north of LA, about thirty minutes, and uh, there I was sitting across from Chevy Chase in a in a therapy scene. And I got to say, for all the bad things I would ever have to say about Leslie Greif, uh, the guy that owned that production company and and directed that film. Uh, He came to me and he said, you know, I know that you are an aspiring actor. Would you like to read, uh, would you like to read Chevy's lines with him, help him practice his lines before the scene? I was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And so I go into Chevy Chase's dressing room and I'm running lines with Chevy Chase, me and him. And he's fucking chain smoking Marlboro Reds. And it's like, you you want one of these? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> so I'm sitting there smoking cigarettes and, and, and reading lines. I thank God he wasn't doing heroin. I'd have probably done that too. <laughs> just, I mean, 
<laughs> it would have been hard to say no. <laughs> exactly. And so I got to spend a day working with Chevy Chase and shooting the shit with him. And, you know, it was it was still like aside from what I mentioned about doing a Shakespeare play in high school, like that's another big moment for my career that and, is really like sticks out to me. And Chevy Chase was part of a movie that filmed in Knoxville a oh, couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah, and with Burt Reynolds. Uh, Burt Reynolds yeah, yeah. and the uh, I cannot remember her name, the actress from Modern Family. Okay. The uh it's not the Colombian. No, lady, no, is she it? was the middle child oh, okay. of the I don't know the show well enough to yeah. dig up that name. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and so I did get to I, I got to do that with Chevy Chase that day and then as we screened the film I got to you know, interface with him a little bit more. And by that time it was like, Hey Ben, how's it going? You know, I'm good, Chevy. How are you? I'm good. You got another one of those Marlboro Reds? <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I was yeah. 19 or 20 years old, you know, yeah. and it was, it was, it was cool. And so go was, get it. Go watch was funny 60. money. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> Cause he's probably pushing 70 yeah. now. And you know, you talk to industry people and he's got a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a checkered reputation just for, yeah. you know, nothing, nothing me too ish or anything like that, but right. like just being a dick and all that. And just being an old white guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I, I gotta say for, as, um, for, for all that stuff that you hear, like he was very gracious and very kind to me that day as, uh, that we shot together, um, knowing that I was an aspiring actor and, and, and doing that for me. So, you, you've you made this so easy for me because <laughs> I actually had a question that I wanted to ask you earlier, but we kind of moved on. Yeah. And then you've kind of brought it back. Okay. Do you think that there may ever be a future with you as an actor or would you be open to it if the situation presented itself to you? Yeah, I, I've thought about that a lot because – and I've thought about stand-up to um that scares the hell out of me oh yeah stand-up's tough but so this like this this podcasting thing is giving me the kind of performance itch you know or or it's fulfilling the performance itch for for me for me at knox brew tours guiding tours fulfilled my performance itch which we talked about when you when you came in because you come from a long line of of that kind of bent performing on stage and doing shit like that yeah so uh the 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 podcast does a little bit of that for me, but yeah, like I, I, my confidence is way down on acting right now. I don't know if I could give it the time first off that I feel like it deserves. Uh, I, I'm certainly not a, a Hollywood A-list, uh, handsome dude. So, uh, that's, that's not something that I have any, I disagree. Just for the record. Well, thank you. But that's not, (laughs) That's, uh, I, yes, yes. I would, I would do it if I felt like I could do it right. And I felt like I would be good at it still, which I was, I, I feel like I was decent at yeah. it. I feel like I yeah. was pretty good you at can it. Say, yeah. So, so you're, you're on the, you're on a set. Yeah. Uh, producing a movie or a TV show or, or a YouTube channel, whatever. Yeah. And someone you know, falls ill or yeah. their hammock breaks, yeah. right? Yeah, and they and they they're like Ben. We need you to hop in here. See, I don't I don't know if I could do that. Um, I'm I'm such a like I compartmentalize it so much. When so I just going to film school. The reason I went to film school was again because I thought it would help me be a better actor, and and so I somewhere along the way kind of lost that dream to 
to be an actor. It's no longer really a part of. Uh, it's no longer a part of my goals for so myself. So it would be more. It would be more. I'm going to do what I need to do to to wrap this production up, unless I want to do this because I want to act. Yeah, absolutely. It would yeah. be more necessity and less. Absolutely. I, I'm no longer in that space where I would be opportunistic about an opportunity like that and and just jump in because I you know because I felt like I could do it. I'm. That's no longer a goal of mine. I, I no longer want to scratch that itch but i think like back in the back of my mind yeah. like i really i really would do it if i could focus on it and focus on doing it well i mean and and we you know there are famous actors who didn't make it until their 50s well, and I, 60s and so and and this is like all gone through my head recently too because uh, you're not the first person who's asked me that question and the person that I, uh, this is again, so stupid for me to even mention something like this, but like I look at Christoph Waltz. Yeah. I love him. Me too. And that's the kind of actor I was. I, I was, I was a dig in, be a character Yeah, and, and just, just that, that I, is me. I love that when people ask Christoph Waltz questions about his characters, he sort of is like, I don't know. Like no, he's a dick, dude. He's like, that's up to you to decide. Yeah. I like he was, you know, who am I to tell you what that, you know, how you perceive that character? Sure. It's up to you. Yeah. Well, and, and I, and I don't like, I don't have any delusions of grandeur about me being some, uh, two time Oscar winning supporting act actor by the time I'm 50, but that's what he did. And he, he won back to back best supporting actors, Oscars for Inglorious Bastards and for Django. Django, yeah. Yeah, back to back. And, and he was a theater actor through and through in, I think, Austria. Yeah. Uh, for many, many years. And so that's where I'm not going to be able to, to, to get to that point. I'm, I'm not going to go do community theater right now. I don't have time. I don't, I don't have, I would do it. If it's all I had to do, I would do it because that's what I would pour everything I had into it, but I don't really, um, it's not a focus for me. It's not something I ever expect to happen, but if I could somehow get back into it, I would. If you, if any one gets down the rabbit hole of Inglorious Bastards, you'll find that uh, there was a big fear that that movie wasn't going to happen because Tarantino was afraid that he had created a character that was impossible to cast. And when yeah. they discovered Christoph Waltz, who could speak German and speak English and speak French, French. and embodied this sort of villain, like yeah. they were like, he he saved the movie. Yeah, that that Tarantino has said on interview that this movie might not have happened if we have not if we had not discovered Christoph Waltz. He is. I mean, I was always growing up. I was always a Johnny Depp guy. After the first Pirates of the Caribbean came out, he was the actor that I wanted to be. Uh, but after I saw Inglorious and Django, I I said I think Christoph Waltz is the best actor I've ever seen in my life. I love that. Here's a here's a fun fun little trivia question. What is the only movie that Leonardo DiCaprio has played a supporting role in since Titanic? And the since answer, Titanic? Yeah, and the answer is Django. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is just a really fun fact. Yeah. Just, he was great in that too. Yeah, he was. And the scene where he breaks the glass and cuts his hand was yeah. was an accident. Really? He wasn't yeah. 
See, and, and if you watch Kerry Washington's face, it's real. It's real because yeah. he's bleeding. Yeah, and he's not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, him and Brad Pitt, and and yeah, th- those guys are all. I mean, they're fucking the most handsome dudes in Hollywood, but they are <laughs> sticks, man. They are yeah. such good actors. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah. And, and, and Johnny Depp too, that, that guy, I mean, he's gone off the rails now it's seemingly, but, but just seeing his stuff, everything from, you know, everything from pirates to, uh, to fear and loathing and rum diaries, like everything, everything that guy's done, that's, that's the kind of actor I wanted to be. And I've, you know, the ship is a bit sailed. You know, for me, Maybe. I think not, you know, well, we'll see. Okay. I'll, I'll pull my Christoph Waltz trajectory. 50 years old. I'll be winning. My I, first Oscar. I appreciate yeah, your, right. your honesty and your genuineness and, uh, your realism, but I would encourage you to, to not come to keep the, if, if someone knocks on the door, consider yeah. opening it. Sure. Well, and like, again, it, and I think the thing that keeps me thinking about this is like my, my affinity for Mark Marin and his podcast, his, he was, you know, a struggling comic for years and years and years. And he started a podcast 10 years later. He's in the Joker and, you know, on glow and on all kinds of stuff, never yeah. wanted to be an actor, yeah. but he got dug out of it. And I'm not saying that that's ever that I expect that to happen for me, but to your point of like, don't rule anything out. I would be, I would be fine with somebody uh, who I'd worked with in the past, hit me up and say, Hey, give me 10 hours a week and we'll do a show. You Dude, know, I would love that. Yeah, me too. So I have a question. Can that, I say too, before yeah. we move on that? I think that my, uh, that my experiences as, as an actor has, moved me towards you know you always hear the term players coach mm-hmm. with with athletics mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm an actor's director you know a, a, a lot of directors will be more camera people or they'll be more story driven for me like my relationship when I'm directing something my relationship with the actor that's the person I focus the most on getting the performance out of people is the most important thing to me and right or wrong that's and you sort of know what they're going through I think I do. Dude, I've experienced that with you. And I didn't realize it until you just said that. But with you filming me for the local love box stuff, yeah. I felt very comfortable with you. I felt that you knew exactly what was going through my mind and what I was experiencing. And, and from your body language and the way that you coached me and everything, I've totally felt that. I think that I, you sh- that, that, that embodies you. Well, thanks. I, I I think that's that is the person on the set that I have the most empathy for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the person who I want to at most set at ease because I really do think that that's the most important part. I think you can have the most beautiful lighting in the world. You can have the most beautiful blocking and the most beautiful story. And if you get and a the best perform- equipment, exactly. The- if you get a bad performance out of somebody you might as well throw the rest of the stuff out the window. So I, I feel like you back engineer it from get a good performance out. And that is the thing that people attach to. And that's sort of the whole, like authenticity is more important than quality. And if you can get authenticity and quality. Yeah. That's a goal. That's a award winning. It's the lightning in the bottle thing yeah. that you talked about earlier. It's yeah. getting all those things to line up. It's getting the Venn diagram to all just come, come together, together right when the camera rolls, you know? Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad that you cut me off from the next question because that was the great insight and I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so full disclosure, this next question 
does not make any sense to me. Okay. Um, I can't tell you who mm-hmm. asked this question. I already know what you're going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it might, it might give away who asked it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a part of your life that, that hasn't come up yet in this, mm-hmm. in this episode. But the question is, have you ever gotten a bartender fired? <laughs> Hubert, man. Uh, <laughs> so does this does do does this make sense to uh, you? Th- th- that could be one of three people I think that sent you that, and Hubert might have been one of them. Um, so <laughs> we were in Toronto uh, shooting a promo for uh, the Property Brothers one time, and. Uh, they're HGTV's flagship uh, yeah. guys for yeah, the, the for a twin brothers. Right? Yeah, the twin brothers. Yeah, so we filmed this promo for them. Uh, it was, I think, it was a two day shoot. I was the first AD on the shoot. Uh, Michael Underwood directed it, and we were staying at this hotel called. Uh, well, I think it was like a Hilton property of some sort in downtown Toronto, and. Um, you know, just like us, we spent a lot of our time at the hotel bar after we were done shooting, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we got to know uh, old Hubert, who, uh, oh, just the nicest guy ever. Oh, <laughs> man, you, yeah, oh, yeah, you want another beer? Sure. <laughs> and, and, and so <laughs> we, uh, and so uh, we, we go to the bar after, after we came in late one night and, and we went to the bar and the bar was closed and nobody was there. We'd, we'd already been in once that night and, and, and Hubert was already gone. He'd served us all, all night. And then he was gone. We came back a couple hours later and the elevator let us off right on the bar floor, but nobody was there. And so me and uh, Cody Walters walk in and uh, uh, we, we wanted a nightcap. We wanted one more beer. And so... <laughs> And so I, think I know this where this is going. And so nobody's there. And so I just stepped behind the bar and started <laughs> pouring us beers at the, at the bar at the Hilton in Toronto. Because Hubert made you feel Hubert so Hubert was gone. Yeah. yeah. And so I got Cody's beer poured and handed it to him. And then I was about to finish mine up. And here comes Hubert walking out of, you know, of the kitchen or whatever. It's like, hey, how you doing, Ben? Can I help you? And I'm standing <laughs> behind the bar pouring beer. I'm like, man, yeah, Hubert, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, grabbing us a couple more beers. He was like, oh, yeah, you really can't do that. (laughs) I'm sorry, man. So me and uh, me and Cody drank our beers and Hubert was doing everything in his power to get us out of the bar. He, you know, you guys need some cigarettes here. Let's go out and, you know, go downstairs, walk down the stairwell, go outside, just. Just get out of here. Yeah. And, and, but you can't take your beers. We're like, all right, I won't take those beers. <laughs> so we we get out in the alley and we're, we're you know, drinking our beers and smoking our players' cigarettes with <laughs> out in the alley. And Hubert walks out. He's like, I told you, you couldn't bring those beers out here. Well, all that to say, we we, we packed up. We we went home. We, we came back to Knoxville and uh, everything was all good. Never saw Hubert again. Until, <laughs> oh, and the story continues. <laughs> Two years later, we're staying at the same hotel, uh, shooting a promo for Love It or List It, uh, which is another uh, another HGTV, HGTV show yeah. that was shot in Toronto. We were shooting another promo for it, and we we walk up to uh, the breakfast bar. It was like six o'clock in the morning before our shoot that day, and we walk up and. 
Sure enough, there's Hubert putting the bacon out. <laughs> no way. On, yeah, putting, two years put, later. Two years later, putting the bacon out on the uh, on the continental breakfast there, and I walk up and you know we are so happy to see Hubert. He's been this huge you know this huge character that we've talked about for two years. years. Yeah, we show up and and uh, and Hubert, how's it going, man? Like so excited to see him. He's like, hey, fellas, how you doing? Like. We're good. I thought you'd be a little happier to see us. I mean, we <laughs> spent a few days together. Like, yeah, yeah. And like, what what are you doing setting up the setting up the breakfast bar? And he's like, Oh well, yeah. I, uh, a couple of years back, I got put on probation for a few for uh, for a week or so uh, without pay, and uh, went home. And they said I could have my job back if I came and uh, did the breakfast bar. Came and did the <laughs> breakfast bar, and we were like, Well, well, Hubert, why? Why'd you get put on probation? He said, nah, I overserved some guests. And we're like, oh, well, Hubert, who was that? And you said, it was you guys. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we felt so bad. We felt awful. But he was still so Canadian nice to us, man. Like That's, they just... that's the most Canadian story I've ever heard. <laughs> Does oh that answer God. your question? Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, <laughs> I've also been fired as a bartender. That's um, something that happened uh, at Anaba. Remember the restaurant that I that I uh, talked that Anaba has is a, is a part of your well, story. It was right at the end of Keller Bend, which was where my parents oh, lived. Yeah, and so true. when I yeah. when I was doing my internship with Michael Underwood, Tantrum Pictures, I was bartending at Anaba, and this was kind of the moment that got me into got me let me know that the film business was actually going to be a real deal for me uh i uh was working with michael underwood and uh i was supposed to bartend at four o'clock at uh anaba and uh so i called him and said hey i'm gonna be 30 minutes late i'm still shooting and then you know i'm gonna be an hour late and so i end up showing up at six o'clock and by that time i've called a buddy of mine and said hey man i'm bartending i'm not gonna be there till six but meet me at the bar and i'll um I'll pour you some drinks when I get there. Well, I was two hours late getting there because I was shooting all day. Um, and I showed up and the uh, manager of Anaba said, you're fired <laughs> for being two hours late. Right. And I said, so you don't have a bartender for tonight? And he said, no. And my buddy was already sitting at the bar waiting on me to get there and pour him beers. Yeah. I said, I'm fired? He said, yeah. I said, okay. So I took off my apron and I went and I sat sat at the the bar bar. and I ordered a beer from the sushi chef (laughs) with my buddy. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. But I was, I was cool because I knew I was going to, I knew that the, that to me, that was the moment that was like, okay, you're already working too much to still be bartending. You know, like this was the moment that this was going to be real. It's going to be possible. Yeah. All right. I've got one. Well, let me start over. I have thousands more questions. Yeah. Can but I get I will, another black horse for it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I've got a thousand more questions. But only one more for tonight. Okay. So far, uh, how many podcasts have you recorded for South of Scruffy? 16. 16. Yeah. Do you have any regrets or anything that you wish you had done differently so far up to this point? Um... No, my, so my, um, my, (laughs) I hate to put him on blast. (laughs) I'm gonna grab a beer before you do. Jack Parker is one of my greatest friends. He's one of my best friends in the world. He's a mentor. He's somebody I look up to. 
I love him so much. And he came on my show and um, it, I don't know if I, I just, I, he and I have such a close relationship that it was really hard to make what you and I are doing right now intimate mm-hmm. as intimate as our rides in the van are when we're shooting. Yeah. And so that one to me, um, I, I feel like, I feel like we didn't hit home with it. Gotcha. And, and that was 100% my fault. I didn't get him in the space. I didn't make him feel comfortable. It wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where it was me and Jack having a conversation like we always have. It was mm-hmm. very much me trying to push my agenda on my friend, and and so that to me is my only only regret, only regret so far with the podcast. And that was a hundred percent my fault. It was nothing that he did. He was still a great guest and is very interesting person and we got most of it out there but to me that was one that i really i really well that's how we learn yeah so we learn okay so i said last question but i lied well that was a short answer you're not used (laughs) to those with me tell me about your art your the south of scruffy logo that i would love to know where that came from and what it means to you okay so uh there's so far there's three, three pieces of art that have been made for the podcast. And when, uh, when I started the podcast, there were, um, there were, I think four things that, that I felt like needed to be done. I needed to have a name for mm-hmm. the podcast. Mm-hmm. I needed to have album art for the podcast. Yep. I needed to have music for the podcast yep. and I needed to have a format for the podcast. So, so name, album art, music, music and format and format. And when I had every, uh, I had already recorded my first episode with Matt Honkinen in December of last year, because I, I very much subscribed to the mentality of it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. Yeah. So I went ahead and recorded it. And I and I I did it without music. I I put some stock music in or whatever, and uh, I had everything done but the artwork. Mm-hmm. And I had a graphic artist. I had I had two guys um, that I wanted to do that I wanted to do the the artwork for the podcast. One of them is Justin Helton, who owns Ooh. Status Serigraph. Yeah, and I reached out to him, and he had twins on the way, and it was Christmas time. And it just it it wasn't going to work out for my timeline, right? Gotcha. But I think he would be a great person to create the artwork for this podcast, right? Because he's very yeah. much ingrained in the fabric of of our town. He he has he, the aesthetic of of our concert posters mm-hmm. around town is a hundred percent due to him. He has given our uh, town a visual voice in that format. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said he couldn't do it, I reached out to one to one more guy. Uh, named Ben Maxey, who works at Design Sensory, and he is an incredibly talented designer. Again, around Christmas time, it was tough. He said he would do it, but uh, but it wasn't. It, it I needed it quicker, and so I, I and so I mocked up something. I said, "Here's what here's what's on my here's what's on my brain for what I think it needs to include. I want to include the mountains, the sun sphere, my face." And these colors. And a bus. <laughs> and a bus. Well, not yet. So I created this mock-up and I sent it to Ben Maxey. 
and he was going to be a couple more weeks until he could get it finished. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go ahead and release the first episode of the podcast the first week of 2020. And so I took that mock-up that I sent Ben Maxey and I conformed it to fit all the specs for podcast cover art. And I used my mock-up that I had made on a Saturday in an hour sitting at my kitchen table. Yeah. And I used that as the artwork for the first couple of episodes. Because doing is better than perfect. Uh, that's what, yeah, because yeah, and just getting it out there. I didn't, I didn't want to wait. And so I did it and it was shitty and it looked not great because it was a mock-up mm -hmm. and I'm not a designer. Right. And I had a number of people reach out to me after that. One of them's name is Blake Dockery. And Blake Dockery is a dear friend of mine. Um, a, a, a hobbyist graphic designer. And, uh, he said, do you want me to create some artwork for you? And he did. And he created the, um, the first thing we worked on was the mark that you see on the coffee mug, the headphones with yeah. the, with the compass going South. I love that. Yeah, I do too. And I, cause the name of the podcast is South of Scruffy. Sure. He did a great job and we went back and forth with this design right here in my hand for, a, for a long time and, and got it what I think is great. And then, um, in the meantime, he was always, he was also working off of that mock-up, which has nothing to do with this headphone mark with this, you know, yeah, with this, yeah. and he was working on the mountains, the sun sphere, but he also threw in my Volkswagen bus. I love on that it. bus. Yeah. And so I thought in hindsight, I probably should have used the headphone and, and compass, uh, heading as the, album artwork but i thought that his work on the was so good was so good that i wanted to use it so there's a disconnect there between like the logo mark of the show and the actual album artwork so they don't really connect in any way and i'll probably change it up i'll probably make the what's on the coffee mugs and the t-shirts and all that i'll probably make that the, the artwork but his name's blake dockery and he is uh one of my best friends i love that man he did a great job <laughs> i love yeah. that so i do want to ask you a little bit about the story behind the name of the yeah. podcast and the music. Yeah. But I also have to pee so bad it hurts. Do it one more time and then one we'll more finish, time and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. it up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were asking about uh... <laughs> Okay, so I mean, it seems like a really basic question and probably a question that I should have asked you much earlier in the episode, but what does the name South of Scruffy mean to you and how did you come to to that conclusion to name the podcast that? So much, much like my guest list that I have in the notes app on my phone, it's a long ass list of ideas and, and thoughts and um, I... I wanted to incorporate, I think I wanted to incorporate the name of the town somehow. And I mean, dude, it took me six months to come up with the name of it, yeah. which is crazy because it's probably not that good, but I, it took no, me a I long time South to go Scruffy. back and forth. And, um, so, uh, I, I thought as simple as it could be, why don't I just call it the Scruffy city podcast? And that was what I had landed on. And I said, I'm going to call it the Scruffy city podcast. And much like I had done with the 30 names that I had had before, mm -hmm. I, uh, I Googled it just to see what came up and to see if there was a, 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 a if there was interference there, if somebody yeah. else had already named something that I don't yeah. want any kind of confusion. Yeah. Right. 
And Aaron Donovan had a podcast that ran in, I think, like 2018. It ran for probably 15 to 20 episodes, and it was called the Scruffy City Podcast. And I didn't want any yeah. kind of confusion with that. So I was like, okay, that's off the table. And uh, it then just, you know, turned into a couple months of, of me uh, coming out to the shop and smoking some CBD and uh, <laughs> pacing back and forth across the floor and uh, and just thinking of, of stuff. And I thought, you know, I, I'm not really in the middle of downtown. I'm just a little bit outside of the city. Yeah. A little bit south. I'm on the other side of the river. Yeah. It's as soon still as you cross the river. City. Yeah. South side. Yeah. Just barely on the south side. Um, and then I also thought that it had – it. I. Another thing that I didn't like about Scruffy City podcast was it definitely tied you to Knoxville. Right. Um, it definitely it 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 committed to Knoxville. Right. right. South of Scruffy doesn't really mean no. anything to people who don't live here. Right. Right. And I I started thinking about it and I was like, well, I'm I'm a you know I live south of the Scruffy City by a couple miles. I'm a Scruffy dude. Maybe even a little bit south of Scruffy. Yeah. A little bit less than Scruffy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even worse than that, even yeah. worse than Scruffy. So that's kind of where it where it landed, and it just stuck. I mean, it was it was the one that it was the one that just kept being okay when I started to, yeah. like I said, pace back and forth right there and and, and do my think time, you know, so, after the kids go to bed. Yeah. So Scruffy City podcast to me sounds like a podcast about Knoxville. Yeah, it does. Where south of Scruffy, exactly. more or less tells me like this is where this podcast is is happening. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. could be about anything. And look where you're sitting too. I mean, this is not a, a, a nice space. Like this is a, <laughs> this is not a finish. Like it, it, I, I've always wanted the podcast to have a bit of an edge to it. And well, I, I feel I, that I've got a toolkit to my left and a dirt bike to my right. Yeah, and we had bike. and you unplugged the refrigerator before we got started. <laughs> like <laughs> is that a lawnmower and over there? It actually makes this bucket sitting look between good. us. You know, make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But, but it very much, it, it, it went through some vetting just in my brain though, yeah. you know, and then ultimately just decided again, like the, the clock ran out and it was time yeah. to do it. it and was that was time. the one that I was, that I was dancing with at the time. Okay. So that's the name. Yeah. The music. You talked about the album cover. Yeah. Tell me about the music. So <laughs> Matt Honkinen is going to hate my guts for telling you this story, <laughs> but I have always loved Matt Honkinen uh, since the moment I met him. Um, he's half of Peak Physique. He's a little if he's uh, DJ now, yeah. Too, uh, and he's got a couple of other projects going. He's uh, Pitchwire is the name of his company. He does all kinds of music producing for. He's producing Chris Blue's next album right now. Ooh, um, Chris Blue is also about to come on the podcast too. Dude, that's. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've got, we got wheels in motion on that. And he knows Haller and Hilton Hill. Who yeah, he does. You said you'd like to have on the show. I would like to be on that level of name recognition okay, in gotcha, town. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. I would, I would also love to have him on the show. He'd dance circles around me, much like your boy, <laughs> Phil Williams. Um, and, and so one of the, one of the reasons that uh, I thought Matt Honkinen would be a good first guest is because I thought he would really help embody I, I thought he would help set the pace for what the podcast was going to be mm -hmm. because he's been around the music scene for so long. Um, he's doing it on a professional level every single day. He, he was every Matt Honkinen is the archetypal guest for this show. Gotcha. He's, he's just perfect. Uh, another reason I wanted to ask him is because I, I knew that he had um, 
experience with podcasting and I knew that he would be good consultation and he sort of got it. Yes. I also thought that him being my first guest would anchor him to the show with some kind of ownership to where he would work with me to create some music for it. And so when people listen to later episodes, they're like, if people who have followed you from the beginning, they, they would get it. Yeah. He was, he was part of the DNA. He's very part of the foundation of South of Scrubby. Matt Honkinen is probably the most important podcast the guest that I've had on this show because he, he created, he helped me create the format for this show. And it was so easy yeah. because he let me do what I wanted to do. And he bounced it back at me. And, and, and it was, it was in no way, it was in no way his, uh, he was, he was, he let me do exactly what I wanted to do and he helped me do it. And one of the ways he helped me do it was by writing a custom piece of music for it that we went back and forth on a little bit, not much. I mean, I didn't really have any revisions. I said, right. man, I've, I need, you know, I, I need a piece of music that embodies this podcast. Here's the podcast between you and I, yeah. here's what we talked about. Yeah. Here's how I want it to feel. Here's this stock piece of music in there write the piece of music for it that you think should be there instead of the stock piece of music I got. And, and, you know, he had, he did a great job, but he, he said, you know, let's, let's, uh, you know, do these, do these couple things for me, you know, mention, mention my name during the podcast yeah, and, you know, kind of push business my way if you can, no worries if not. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I love the piece of music so much. I mean, if, at, at the end, if anybody has ever listened to the end of this podcast, the last thing I say is Matt honking and play me out. And that's my way of, uh, that's my way of uh, putting his little stamp on it because he uh, brought a, a brilliant piece of art to it. And yeah. I uh, will be eternally grateful for him. He continues to be a great friend and I hope to have him on the podcast I, yeah. again one day. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So, this is legitimately my last question. I promise this time. It's all good. You also said that the you said that the name, the album, art, the music were all important to uh -huh. creating this podcast. Yeah. And the last thing you said was the format. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about that process. I mean, I ripped it off from from <laughs> Mark Marin. Okay. Really. I mean, honestly, I and and I've and I've I've felt guarded about that a little bit and not wanted to. I, I have not wanted to let, I don't want people to listen to this and be like, Oh, that's just a rip off of Mark Maron's podcast. But that's where I got the format from. I mean, I, I, I that dig, was your inspiration. You said it, that at the it, beginning. And, yeah. And, and I've had to like, I, I've, I've had to reconcile that again, pacing at this shop. Like, is it okay that I'm just doing the yeah. same kind of format that he is? And you know what? Everybody has inspiration. Everybody gets inspired by something else. And, and, and for me, he's doing what, um, what inspired me to do this podcast. So why not borrow a few things and then make my own, make, make it my own from there. Because and, at its core and it's kind of come full circle, it's about the exploration of humanity and finding stories that matter and, yeah. and loving on people. Yeah, and I stole that from him too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not stealing. I, I don't feel like it's, 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 no, a, it's, it's, it's in a continuation of the human experience. Yeah. My, my buddy, Jody Collins, who interviewed me oh, for I love his, Jody. Yeah, me too. He interviewed me for his podcast about, I don't know, six, six or eight weeks ago. Hope it comes out at some point, but he, uh, <laughs> he said that, uh, one of his, 
what did, uh, one of his friends uh, said, you know, you always hear people say uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. flattery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said, uh, Im- uh, in somewhat of a cynical view, imitation is the most sincere form of stealing. <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I'm hoping I'm not doing that, you know. Yeah, but but yeah. I, but I do just to get bones and framework for the format of the podcast. That's kind of well, where I look to for I inspiration. Think, I think there's definitely a layer of sincerity and genuineness with you that uh, makes it not stealing, but a continued exploration and honestly i think uh what's his name matt maron honkin oh mark maron mark maron yeah, i yeah. think mark you should maron, listen to his podcast i need to check it out i think he would be honored uh that you've continued to honor that spirit of of human curiosity yeah, he probably has all kinds of people ripping him off but it, but you know for me it was the it was the big silo silo parts of his podcast that resonated with me that said, I, I want to take these with me. I'm not going to copy every single thing, but, <laughs> you know, use the, you know, use, use those silos to, to kind of, I'll definitely check it, it out. You should. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. Thanks, man. Um, I really enjoy your podcast. Thank I you. was honored to be a guest on it. Yeah. And you're a great guest. Honored to let you, uh, honored that you let me bring a bucket of beer and hit record on these microphones and learn a little bit more about your story. Um, I loved learning about your acting background, your, how you got into production, uh, how you met your wife. Um, yeah, you kind of, what are we going to talk about next time? Oh, I don't get, (laughs) I got a whole other list, man. Um, Is that page two over there you're writing on right now? Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, how this podcast came to be. So uh, thank you for letting me do this. I really appreciate Thanks, you. Man. I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. I do want to thank Black Horse again for oh, this yeah. delicious beers that we've been kind of chugging a Wait, little bit. Wait, hold on. Is that six empties no, on the I table? Think, I think we might have... Well, I know, but we got six empties on the table. Oh, this yeah. Is, that's, that's, this is a six-pack with Zach. A six-pack with Zach. Absolutely. We did uh, it. Beer with Zach. <laughs> Uh, so thanks, man. I really appreciate you. Let Thank me take you. over the the control of your own podcast for a minute, so that sure. we can talk a little bit more about you. And and I really Knoxville is a better city because of you. Thanks, man. And I really appreciate the the your passion for this podcast and for well, what you're you. doing. Put the word out. I will, man. Thanks a lot, Zach. Did that answer all your questions? Does anybody have any more? questions i tried to i tried to hit them all i tried to hit all the high points i feel like i did uh zach was great man zach was awesome (laughs) at drawing all that out he's clearly a pro guys thanks for listening uh if you have any questions for the next six pack with zach hit zach up at z-a-c-k at knoxbrewtours.com and uh, just honestly give him a shout and uh when the social distancing era ends and we get back to it um book a brew tour with with zach at knox brew tours it's some of the most fun i've ever had i've done a couple of them and they were really really great um but be sure to support him because that guy's killing it and he uh and he's doing a really great thing for a lot of uh, local businesses guys thanks again appreciate it we'll see you next week matt honkinen play me out <laughs>